Diverse is brought to you by SWE Advance, supporting the recruitment, retention, and advancement of women in engineering through career resources, professional development, and one-to-one networking opportunities. Hello, I'm Jessica Rano, FY17 President of the Society of Women Engineers, and this is SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. Recognizing the ongoing need for research on women in engineering, SWE Magazine publishes an annual review of social science literature that provides expert analysis of issues faced by women in engineering and women in other STEM disciplines. This year, for the first time, SWE's literature review will be published at the end of February in a special digital issue of SWE Magazine that's focused on research. Now in its 15th year, the Literature Review examines peer-reviewed articles, dissertations, books, scholarly presentations, reports, and conferences. Sources range from the mainstream media to academic journals. Joining me now is the lead author of SWE's Literature Review, Peter Meekskins, Vice Provost for Academic Programs and a Professor of Sociology at Cleveland State University and longtime contributor to the Literature Review, Peggy Lane, Assistant Provost for Faculty Development at Virginia Tech. Thank you both for joining us today. Okay, thank you both and let's jump right into it. So Peggy, can you give us a little background about the Literature Review and how it got started? Well, I've been involved in the Literature Review just about from the beginning because at that time I was a member of the editorial board for the Society of Women Engineers magazine. And we thought it would be a service to the engineering community to try to pull together the research that was being done on the position of women in engineering. So we got started and it's been uh, really fascinating to see a growth in the amount of attention to women in engineering in the scholarly literature in the last 15 years. More recently, I've become a contributor to the Literature Review, helping to identify the articles that we're going to include and working with graduate students here in my office to read all those articles and summarize them and hand them over to Peter to try to make some some sense out of it. What I think is one of the unique contributions of the SWE Literature Review is that it looks across academic disciplines So we try to look for research being done in psychology and sociology, as well as engineering and education and business, and try to look for common themes as well as contradictions in the the way that different scholars are looking at the status of women in engineering. Thanks for that background. And since Peter, you've been involved for a few years now as our lead author, can you talk about your role? Um, sure. Um, my, you know, my background, is, as you indicated, is I'm, I'm, I come to this as a sociologist. And um, my, I think what drew me into this was a, uh, some work I did with a colleague a few years ago on a book about part-time, and part-time work among, uh, among engineers, most of, most of which really is, is about female engineers. And Anne Perusek, who was the editor of SWE magazine then and still is, kind of found out about that book and talked to me and she then recruited me to help with the review. Um, and what my role here is really to try to find some order in the, in the literature review, which as, as I think Peggy indicated is really pretty diverse. There's a lot of different disciplinary 
um, approaches to the question of women in, engin- in engineering, and they don't always talk to each other. Something that we'll we've talked about a lot in the review, um, and so what we try to do is to see if there aren't some broad themes that um, that lots of different researchers are looking at and try to organize the review around those themes um, so that readers can kind of see the common elements in the research. Um, you know, a psychologist and a sociologist may not always be aware of one another's work, but they may often be talking about the same issue. And so, we're, you know, we're trying to find those common themes. The themes don't change radically from year to year. There's a lot of things that come up each year, but there also are some new ones. And so that's another thing we try to do is to, is to look for emerging themes that have come up that we hadn't seen in previous year's literature. Interesting. Yeah, it seems, you know, I think there's been some research that, you know, some of the you know numbers we get every year, like the hardcore facts about the statistics about women in engineering. Uh, Peggy, can you talk a little bit about that area that's in the literature review? So we try to include some of the basic statistics about women in engineering as part of the literature review. We get information about engineering degrees awarded to women from the American Society for Engineering Education. And that's the, the most up-to-date source for that kind of information. The most recent data that we have is from 2015. And in that year, women earned just under 20% of bachelor's degrees in engineering in the United States. And the curious thing about that number is that it's really been about the same for almost the last 20 years. There was a big increase in the percentage of engineering degrees awarded to women from about 1975 to 1995. And since then, it's really bounced around between 18 to 22% at the bachelor's degree level. It's a little bit higher right now for um, master's and PhDs, about 25% of master's degrees in engineering went to women last year, and about 23% of PhDs. But to look at it in a different way, one of the papers that we reviewed this year looked at data on women in college and how they select which fields to, uh, to major in. And when you look at the percentage of female first-year college students who are choosing to pursue degrees in engineering, that percentage is roughly the same today as it was in the 1980s. And that's less than 5% of female college students decide to major in engineering. We also know that the participation of women in engineering varies by discipline. We know that there's a higher percentage of women earning degrees in fields like environmental engineering, biomedical engineering, chemical engineering, industrial engineering. In, in those fields, between a third up to almost a half of bachelor's degrees in engineering are going to women today. But the largest disciplines of engineering continue to be mechanical, electrical, and computer engineering. Those are the fields that have the most people earning degrees, and those also are the fields that have the smallest percentage of women participating. So only about 10 to 12% of mechanical, electrical, and computer engineering degrees are going to women. Nevertheless, in, in terms of overall numbers of women engineers, because those fields, mechanical, electrical, and computer, are, are so large, so many degrees are awarded in those fields, you'll still find the largest numbers of women uh, in those fields, even though the percentage of women is qu- still quite small. 
You know, that's, it's really interesting to me to see that the number, you know, I graduated about 20 years ago and that, that number hasn't really changed. And uh, Peter, do you have some insight on why so women few, why so few women choose engineering or, you know, why that number is kind of stagnated? Sure. And it's, I think the way you put it, it's interesting because we now increasingly talk about why women are not choosing engineering. And that's a, that's a shift in how people have talked about this over time. It used to be that we talked a lot about things that prevented women from going into engineering and the usual culprit was math. Um, People talked about how women's lower achievement levels in, in advanced math courses, especially in high school was it was essentially disqualifying them from entering into engineering, which obviously is a calculus-based discipline. And if you don't have calculus, you can't get in. Um, and what we now know is that women's math achievement has increased to a point where it's really hard to make that argument work any longer. It doesn't, it doesn't fit the realities on the ground. And so now what we're starting to see is more discussion of of self-selection. Why do, why are women choosing other disciplines when they could have chosen engineering based on their math skills? Um, there's a variety of explanations in the literature that we reviewed this year and in previous years that, that kind of address that question. Um, one still kind of focuses in on math and talks not so much about math ability, but math comfort or math confidence. Um, you know, the fact that you're good at math doesn't mean that you know that, um, or that you feel that math is, is for you. Um, and some of the research we saw, especially some psychological research kind of addresses this and finds evidence that, that women are more likely to doubt their math ability or to see, um, hiccups on their way to a completion of a math program as, as evidence of their, or if they're not really being cut out for that. So that's a possible explanation. Um, another, I think, one that I think probably appeals certainly more to me is that um, that the uh, the the way in which engineering presents itself and the types of things that it 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 says about itself aren't necessarily things that fit easily with the kinds of things that young women are attracted to. Um, there's a lot of research showing that young women are very motivated by the desire to work with people to solve social problems. And things along that line, and that engineering isn't doesn't talk about itself always in that way, um, and that may also help to understand why it is that women are more likely to be attracted to fields like biomedical engineering or environmental engineering, where that kind of social conscience agenda is a little bit more apparent. Um, engineering remains very stereotyped as masculine in the popular mind. <laughs> the if you ask people to describe an engineer, they typically will describe a male engineer um, and are sort of surprised when they discover that a woman is an engineer. Um, and that's true of many women as well and young women. And so they may, even though they may have the ability to become an engineer, they may not see that as a, as a logical pathway, one that, that, you know, they don't see themselves in the image, the popular image of the engineer. And so they may self-select out. And what we read in an article that that we reviewed last year, I think kind of bolsters that argument, which this article found that young women who have the kinds of mathematical and, and technical abilities that that predict their, their ability to be successful in engineering also tend to be good at other things. They're good at, at writing and other kinds of skills. Um, whereas young men who are good at math are often more narrowly skilled, that they're, they're good at math. and. So women who are good at math and have the engineering 
um, c- capabilities may uh, may have other options. And so when they look around for something that that fits them, you know, and even something that fits with their math skills, they see other places they can go, which which seem to be more compatible. So they, they may have broader options than um, than we realize, and so they choose to go somewhere else. It's really interesting hearing about the t- discussion about math. You know, for me, uh, calculus was really hard, and that uh, you know it was my lowest grade I ever got in all of my studies, and I almost dropped out of engineering because of it. But thankfully, to SWE members, they uh, told me that getting a C in calculus wasn't strange and that, you know, I could still be an engineer. And so I think that's, um, Peggy, can you talk a little bit more about the, uh, why women leave engineering? I know there was an article this year or a study that came out about that calculus being part of that. Well, they're actually mixed findings in terms of, of why women leave engineering or even whether women are more likely to leave engineering than men, but I, we have seen studies in the past that indicate that women react differently to uh, things like getting a C in calculus, uh, whereas a, a male student might be more likely to brush that off and, and attribute it to a, an unfair test or a, a bad professor, uh, a young woman is more likely to take it personally and, and think that it means that she's not good enough. And in the past, we've seen studies that showed that women who dropped out of engineering at the undergraduate level actually had higher grades than the men who stayed in. But we do see some changes in in those indicators over time. So we, we are starting to see studies that show that women are, are not more likely to drop out of engineering studies than uh, men are. And when they do, they they may do it for different reasons. We, we saw a study this year that is a little troubling in that it, it showed that some of the experiences that are key to the development of a professional engineering identity, experiences like uh, group projects in school, participating in engineering design competitions, and uh, internships and summer jobs in actual engineering firms, tended to have a more negative impact on young women than young men because the women were exposed to gender stereotypes in those experiences. On team projects, they would be encouraged to serve as a a note taker or project manager rather than doing the detailed technical work. And when they got out into the workplace in their internships and summer jobs, they uh, were treated differently than their male colleagues and, and found that a uh, discouraging experience rather than building their confidence in their uh, desire to become engineers. We do. I, was, sure, sorry. go ahead, Peter. I was going to add that, I mean, there's also a question as when you say when do, do women or why do women leave engineering, the question is when do they leave as well? I don't know if that, that not sure if that's where you were going, but one way of thinking about it is do they leave while they're still in college? Um, another is there's a fairly clear indication that something's going on after they leave college because the percentages of women or the percentage of working engineers who are female is, is are quite a bit lower than the percentages of degree recipients who are, who are women. And that doesn't seem to be moving much. So there's obviously some kind of a leak, if that's the right image, after women leave, they may receive their engineering degree, but then they go in a different direction. 
and that's where I think some of these, um, some of those experiences that Peggy was talking about become relevant. They may complete their program, but then they choose to go in a, in a, into another field um, using their engineer, engineering degree to do something else. And we saw a couple of really strong studies this year that looked at that. The, the ongoing study from the group at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee that has a, a really nice data set from surveys and interviews of women who earned engineering degrees, some of whom have continued in engineering careers and some of whom have left. And one of the papers that we read this year talked about the reasons that those women had stayed and compared to the, the women who had left engineering. And they were related somewhat to work-life issues. Women who were more likely to stay in engineering if they had an accommodating employer who uh, had policies in place that allowed them to balance the demands of family and career and gave them opportunities for advancement. So many of the women who left engineering did so uh, not because they didn't like engineering or even because they wanted to raise a family, but left because they didn't feel like they were getting advancement opportunities and professional development and mentoring at the same level that their male colleagues were receiving. And that's consistent with the some of the findings from the SWE study that you talked about in an earlier podcast with Joan Williams, that the experiences that women have in the workplace are uh, the things that make a difference in whether they decide to stay or leave. Yeah, that's that control the climate control study that SWE has done this last year has a lot of great research about the implicit bias that women experience at work. So, uh, you know, Peter, earlier you had talked about you know, every year you find some new trends that start to emerge. Can you talk about what things you saw, you know, this year or maybe last year that are newer trends in the data? Well, I, I would there's not necessarily newer trends, but emphases I think might okay. be a way to a way to talk about it. I, I think that point we were just talking about is one that uh, there's kind of more of a recognition that women leave engineering later on. That it's that the focus on on the academy is not the is not necessarily where you're going to find the answer to the or the the whole answer to the question of why there aren't more women in engineering. And so I think kind of trying to understand what goes on in workplaces. Um, and why it is that women appear to be leaving workplaces at higher rates than, than their male counterparts. Um, I think that's one theme. Um, I think what over the last few years we've seen a lot more research and interest in, in, on, in group work and teams and the dynamics of teams, um, and that's, I guess, related to the, to the first point. I think that there's sort of been this recognition that that engineering is very much a team-based, group-based kind of work, and that the dynamics of teams are, are important to people's experiences at work. And there's been a lot of really interesting research that kind of talks about, you know, what happens when the team only has a one female member, and some actually very interesting research arguing that teams function better when there are more <laughs> women in them, um, and that they actually solve problems more effectively, things of that sort. But seeing teams as, a, as an important element in whether or not engineering's a, a, a positive experience for people. Um, there's been a kind of ongoing, and I think maybe intensifying interest in how engineering, how, how gender intersects with other aspects of diversity in engineering workplaces, race and ethnicity, sexuality, things of that sort. So there's a literature on intersectionality um, and it's 
its dynamics in engineering workplaces that I think is relatively new. Um, and I think to me, the thing that, that has been really striking is the, the growing acceptance of the idea that, that incorporating more women into engineering isn't a matter simply of figuring out how to make women fit, um, but that engineering may have to examine itself <laughs> Um, and that there may things be things about the way in which engineering talks about itself or the way it's organized, um, you know, and the institutions around which it's built that need to, need to be interrogated, if that's the right word. They need to have a, take a hard look at themselves and see whether they aren't set up in a way which actually disadvantages women and which may actually be, be depriving engineering as a discipline of of a whole range of people and points of view that, that the discipline itself would be benefit from, that the profession itself would benefit from. I think that's a great lead into my last question of what, based on what you've seen in the literature and the research, what do you think can be done to keep increasing the number of women in engineering? Um, well, there, there, I, I mean, Peggy will probably want to weigh in on this one too. I think, you know, there's a variety of things that people have talked about that, um, that I think are, are, potential solutions. There's clearly a need for an increased focus on, on work family kinds of um, accommodations, both in academic contexts and outside. Um, I know at my university, there's an ongoing discussion about ways to allow um, researchers and young scholars to stop the tenure clock if they're um, if they're um, if they if they're an untenured professor who's just had a child or, or there's some kind of family crisis um, and to you know kind of make allowances for the fact that people's careers don't don't fit that model that you know the ideal worker model that Joan Williams used to talk about you know the, the married man with a stay-at-home wife at home that that person doesn't exist in large numbers any longer and women certainly don't fit that stereotype so that's not that uh, organizational structures that assume that don't work um, so I think looking at that is an important issue but I think we also know from from outside the, the realm of engineering that that family-friendly policies and accommodations and things of that sort are only as good as their acceptance level. And you, know, you can have a great policy, but if the people who work with you don't, don't, don't see it as legitimate, then it tends to be something that you're either reluctant to use or you're likely to actually be punished for using, at least in informal ways. And so I think that's another thing. There's a lot of research on culture change inside institutions, inside organizations as a necessary complement to creating policies that support families and support um, people's quite reasonable and desires to have, um, to have families as well as careers. Um, so that's, I think, one thing. I don't know if Peggy wants to talk about lessons from advance or various other things. Well, I, I would like to touch a little bit on the advance program. I think that's one of the reasons that we've seen the increase in research on women in science and engineering over the last 15 years is partly as a result of the National Science Foundation's advanced program, which is targeted towards increasing the number and success of women faculty in the sciences and engineering. And some of those experiences are also applicable uh, outside of academe and in, in the professional workplace as well. And just referencing to this study that we were talking about a few minutes ago, uh, women just want to be given opportunities, mm -hmm. the same as men. They want to have the opportunity to develop in their career, to take on new challenges, to uh, um, 
grow in their profession and to be able to be successful in their private life. And I think men want those things too. So the issues that Joan Williams talks about with regard to unconscious bias, the kinds of obstacles that women face in the workforce are are very relevant to mm-hmm. the engineering workplace. There were a couple of interesting papers this year that looked back, particularly on the advanced program, and that's close to my heart because that's how I came to my current job was as director of the advanced program here at Virginia Tech. But a couple of the earliest advanced programs were at the University of California, Irvine, and at the University of Michigan. And we read papers this year that presented some of the long-term outcomes from those programs that indicated that it is possible to make a difference by having strong leadership, by setting priorities of recruiting and retaining more women in certain positions. The University of California, Irvine, had a big focus on hiring more women faculty during their program, and they were successful in that. They did not pay as much attention to retaining those women faculty, and and they were less successful on that end. The folks at Michigan had a very comprehensive program that has been carried forward with university support since the end of the NSF grant funding. And they've, again, seen differences in levels of success across departments, depending on the the kind of leadership, the commitment of the leadership, the priorities, and the culture of the individual departments. One of the the interesting um, findings of that retrospective look at Michigan was that many departments that had had a significant negative experience in the past used that negative experience to catalyze uh, positive change in the department. So they recognized that something that had happened in the past that resulted in a a woman leaving the department or or some uh, situation that was negative could be turned around and was was a priority to turn that around. And that was a motivating factor to uh, make some culture change in that department. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to pursue even further, like the the, 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 um, the issue of culture change, I mean, I think some of the, we, we read some really interesting things about, about how engineering could relatively easily make um, make overtures to to the kinds of interests that young women have. You know, make because there are there are lots of aspects about engineering that might appeal to a young woman. It does work. It does involve working with people. It does involve social, solving social problems, and all of those things are true about the discipline. Um, but the the research very clearly indicates that unless those emphases are more than just rhetorical flourishes or marketing, um, that they're actually if they're built if they're ingrained values within the discipline if doing that kind of work is valued and if being being innovative in those ways is valued then it's much more likely that the that the invitation to join because that's what we do um, won't result in people having the kinds of experiences that some of the research we read describes where they come in think they're entering a field which does one thing and they discover it's quite different, um, that the, it's not as advertised and, and that may be what's fueling some of those departures we talked about. And so the culture change and, and making sure that what engineering is actually doing is consistent with what it says about itself and how, and it's, that its practices are, are consistent with what it says about itself, I think are really important elements of any real prospects for, for, uh, for radically changing the numbers of women in engineering. 
Well, I'd like to thank both of you for taking time with us today. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to wrap up with? Um, I'm, I, I, I think it would be really nice if next year the numbers moved. Uh, <laughs> a, it would be nice to be able to say, well, this year for, you know, for the first time in however many years since we started doing the review, the numbers really changed dramatically. I don't, numbers like these don't change that fast, but it would certainly be great if that happened. We did observe this year in putting the literature review together that women in STEM have gotten a lot of attention yes. in the popular Definitely. media in the past year. I think we've we've all enjoyed the Hidden Figures movie. Uh, Jessica, I think you got to go to the premiere of, of I did Dream last Big. just last night. So uh, by the time people listen to this podcast, it'll be already showing at a science center near them. Mm. And it has a lot of strong, positive female role models in that um, that movie about engineering too. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that may very well begin to 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 create a different image of the of the discipline. So, kind of speaking to that point we made earlier about how it's gendered male, um, you know, that those kinds of images may start to slowly but surely create a different kind of archetype of who the engineer is. Uh, we, I've, there's a quote about you need to see it to be it. And I think we're definitely getting to that point by having women on the big screen being it so the young girls can see it and then they'll want to be it. Exactly. Well, thank you, Peter and Peggy, for joining me today. The release of the special digital issue of SWE magazine will be announced on SWE's social media and at SWE.org. Peter Meekskins is Vice Provost for Academic Programs and Professor of Sociology at Cleveland State University. And Peggy Lane is Assistant Provost for Faculty Development at Virginia Tech. Peter and Peggy, thank you again so much for joining us today. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to explore additional offerings from SWE Advance at advancedlearning.swe.org. 